And we have this, uh, first, <laughs> almost have no night. We have this first competition here for Nierich at the 14th and um, and the 18th of um, the month here, and it's the longest day of the year. Ah, the summer solstice. This time, yes, that's what the people celebrate with a great athletics competition. So that's the Pavo Nurmi competition uh, on on the 14th of June in Finland, where uh, Nira Chopra will officially kick off his season. Um, and and what an exciting thing that is for all of us here, um, which which of course brings me to you know I mean we, we'll get to all the technical stuff and uh, uh, and get into the nitty gritties of the things, but obviously we cannot not talk about that night uh, on the 7th of May at Tokyo's Olympic Stadium. Um, and, and I remember reading somewhere, uh, Dr. Bartonitz, that you had uh, adapted a Chinese proverb um, and it went like this, uh, to rush on the javelin point and break the ranks of the competition can open heaven and earth for an athlete and coach. And that's exactly what happened uh, for you and Neeraj uh, on the 7th of May in Tokyo. Yeah, but we, the Chinese also say... That the teacher, it means the coach, just opens the door. You, the athlete, has entered himself or herself. So that's the full story. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and and um, and you know, you've been work, working with Neeraj for quite some time now. Um, uh, what what's different uh, at the beginning of this season? Is there anything? Uh, what were the things that you were working on? I know that one of the things was that you wanted to hit 90 meters, uh, but technically, are there aspects to the throwing that um, that you guys were we wanted to change or, or work on or, or improve? Yeah, as a junior, threw already 86 meter. What's the junior world record? And then he increased during the next years to 88 meters, which is just at this distance, it's almost uh, nothing, yeah, two meters. And uh, 90 meters is such a magic number for javelin throwers, for athletes. It is full in reach when you take into account how he threw this uh, 88 meters with a little bit better using the aerodynamics of the javelin during the flight. So then this velocity for this for this 90 meters he already achieved okay oh and and you mean like uh, at the start of this season control yeah the control of the javelin is important but it's difficult in training when the adrenaline rushes and you you have still to control yourself and this is technical event it's not just throwing this 800 gram implement as hard as you can no at as smart as you can right so and that's that's exactly what we're going to we're going to really delve deeply into, um, uh, and you know I mean it's it's funny because the javelin is uh, the the roots of the sport uh, is is ancient. Uh, the sport is adapted from spear throwing, of course, and now that's something that's older than even humankind. I was just reading that the um, the last common ancestor for both Homo sapiens and Neanderthals were using stone-tipped spears uh, as far back as five hundred thousand years ago. Um, and in fact, the invention of the spear, it is believed, led to the increase in brain size uh, that resulted in the modern human because it allowed access to more fish and meat. Uh, but I digress. Um, 
you know so my point is that the javelin is is an ancient ancient sport but there's so much complexity and so much technicality to it um and like you said that finland has has a great uh, tradition uh, of javelin uh, because in the 1930s or so it, it's the finnish athletes who really kind of refined the technique that we see today am i correct in saying that yeah the javelin started from a standing throw and in the, with the beginning of the olympics and then they started a short approach and the approach became longer Yeah, that's nineteen nineteen oh six or so. It was was people were throwing it standing. Nineteen twelve, nineteen twelve, first time at the Olympics. Yeah, but already fifty years before, in the middle of the nineteenth century, some in 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 Germany, in Hungary, in Sweden, in Scandinavia, here they practiced this sport, and then it becomes more sophisticated, and they figured out the rules. Yeah, so and it became. If the Finn had the great traditions and the smart and intelligent athletes, they developed this, came out to a much more efficient use of the body speed. And and of course, uh, in 1984, um, uh, your compatriot Uwe Hahn uh, from Germany, he said uh, he actually is the only person ever to hit the 100 meter mark uh, throwing the javelin. Before there was there were rule changes and equipment changes that were introduced uh, so as to stop people from. Going that far, um, though the current world record, um, Jan Chelesny, uh, 98.48 meters, is pretty close to the 100 meter mark set in 1996. Now you worked uh, closely with uh, Uwe Hahn when when he was actually uh, when he hit that 100 meter mark. You were already involved in kind of um, assessing him. Can you tell me a little bit about that? You know, I worked in a research institute in in East Germany, German Democratic Republic, and we were keen to support the athletes we had to show our superiority in the field of sport and there was sophisticated research in the field of training science in biomechanics in psychology and um, this support helped the athletes yeah to become these professionals and the so so far and mr horn came in came in to get assessed at the, at the center and you were one of the people doing it No, he trained. He trained at his sport club. It was the army, the sport club of the army, where they had uh, all necessary facilities and all necessary uh, support. And we had uh, training camps and uh, some measurements, so where we got this information which could support the athlete and the coach. Right, and and what's uh, and what a wonderful coincidence that actually Mr. Horn and you, uh, you uh, both coached uh, Neeraj for some time before uh, in 2018 you took over as his only coach. Uh, so you were working together to build Neeraj up. Um, and he's here with you right now in Finland as well with an Indian athlete, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we worked we work together already uh, 10, more than 10 years ago in, in China. He coached a male athlete, and I have worked with some female athletes, so we know each other also from from this time. And then he came to India and uh, asked me later to support him as an assistant coach. So, yeah, and then still we coordinate our activities. We discuss issues about the training and technique. So technique, that's what we want to get into. Um... I believe it's called internal ballistics, uh, the relation of the of the thrower with the javelin till the point of release. Um, and, and, and what you're studying is the moment of the release, the velocity of release, the height of the release, the angle of the release. So there are so many different things working here. Um, 
Dr. Barton, it's if you could um, simplify it a little bit for me and tell me what are the what are the three or four most important things that that you're looking at when somebody is throwing the javelin, and then maybe we can elaborate from there. But the most important thing is to reach a corresponding high velocity of release. Velocity as a vector has a direction. There's always velocity and direction that is uh, you cannot uh, separate it. So there has. It's a tricky thing to optimize this um, direction. Very steep, maybe optimal from the mechanical point of view, but not from the aerodynamical and also not from the athlete's point of view. So he can reach the best velocity at an angle between the 33. That was Jan Schalesny's world record. And now the guys who throw very far, depending with the wind, yeah, they use some steeper angles yeah right so uh, so but before we get to the 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 angle of release the, when you mean the velocity of release you mean uh, the amount of of force that is being imparted from from the athlete into the javelin uh, because of the run up because of the the torque in the in the body and and the the you know the action of the shoulder is that is that what you're talking about yeah i mean it's uh, it starts with a run up where the, the athlete gains as much as kinetic energy as uh, as he could, and then have to bring it to the body by the stopping movement, breaking, we call it the, the breaking front leg, which transfers this kinetic energy into potential energy of deformation of the elastic structures of the body, muscles, tendon, ligaments, and uh, from there, then with the muscle f work, muscle effort in a coordinated manner, the journey will be thrown but but what what is interesting for for somebody from the lay point of view is that you know i mean i i would have thought uh before i really started following things like this i i would have thought yeah you know if, if you are a big person you have lots of bulk muscle um you can throw something very far uh but that's that's not true it's it's not about the amount of muscle you have or the amount of strength you have but it's about how coordinated you can be and how how your muscles fire in sequence uh, in in kind of um, in kind of implementing the technique uh, and that is where the interesting thing is because neeraj for example is not very big he's not very bulky uh, in terms of the of the muscle a lot of athletes for example are much bigger and bulkier than he is um, but he gets that that technique right and uh, so can can you can you tell me a little bit more about that about the complexity of the technique, how many things are involved in the biomechanically in the body in in imparting that force into the javelin? Of course, it's a benefit when you are tall because you have long levers and you have the muscles to move these levers. And it's just then the matter how you have learned this uh, throwing uh, movement. And um, yeah, this is why also people like Uwe Hohen, as a almost two-meter man, could throw so far with the power they have. But he was not the strongest in lifting weights. Yeah. But this is not what matters. Nearest is also not the strongest. There are much stronger athletes who are throwing 10 meters less. But there is mm -hmm. also one, the, the, the best at the moment, Johannes Vetter of Germany, who is also much stronger, but he can combine this strongness and the speed. So this is the, the tricky thing in, in training, that you have this muscle structure developed by your training, which allows you to contract with the 
fast with a corresponding high force. Right. Right. So, and that's that's always the tricky bit because you know some sometimes the the really tall people, for example, are not very coordinated. So, uh, you know, in for example, in basketball. No, 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 no. You cannot, you cannot say this. No, the very tall people not coordinated. They would say, "Oh, why, 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 why we are, we are not stupid." No, it's a, it's a matter how you have learned a certain thing from your from your very early childhood on. No? How your brain is adapted, how you can deal with different uh, new situations, and um, that's the lever matter. Yeah, of course, it takes longer to move a, a long limb. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's you have to handle. Yeah, and we have also this. In, in, yeah. So when when you say, for example, if you have a a, a new thrower that you're going to work with, let's say a young thrower who's just about starting off. Uh, what's what? What would you start with? Would it be the run-up? Yeah, when you start to walk with a kid, then you get them the feeling with the with the ball hitting some targets from this from a stand from a, from walking, and uh, to go into this final throwing position. That's the the, the trickiest thing. Uh, that you learn to block. It's very uh, actually unnatural. Yeah, all the jumps, the sprints. This is you go over your take-off leg and you gain your body gains then some distance or some height. In the in the javelin throw, you have to be as fast as possible and then suddenly to stop and block. Yeah, this makes it so difficult. And then not to go over your blocking left leg, then you lose some of the energy you could use. Uh, that's the tricky thing. That is why this front leg, the leg walk in general. Is the most important thing. When the leg walk is done right, the arm will follow. Right. So that if the leg work is done right, the arm will follow. So you will you will focus on the leg work, which is basically trying to get a pretty fast run up, but not so fast that you cannot control it. Um, and and yeah, and and an optimum speed so that you can break yourself on your front leg really hard while still being coordinated and being able to throw. That's a lot of stuff to do. It's it's a bit like fast bowling in cricket. I don't know if you're familiar with cricket. You must be. You've been in India long enough. Yeah, yeah, but there's a totally different direction. Huh? You throw it flat, and you you try to to throw tricky that the better not, uh, yeah, with some spin and stuff. Yeah, but we have to control the javelin and get it clean for some certain height and the distance to maximize. Right. So we've got that run-up done, and then we've got that blocking leg done. What's the next thing in the in the biomechanicals? You know, if you if you take the next step, what's the next step? No, the the blocking the the walk of the right leg supporting the blocking of the left leg. That is continuing during all the throwing movement until the javelin is released when the recovery then follows. So then this is the support then for the movement of the upper body and to getting this uh, we call it the, the, the drawn bow imagining like the, the tougher the, the body of the athlete is like a bow and the javelin is the arrow and we bend the bow and then from this bent body structures releasing the javelin supported by the, by the muscle work 
And that is the thing, to be patient, to build up the base, and then have this block and base and coordinating for the upper body, shoulder, arm movement. Right. So that's that's even trickier that you're going to, you, you have that forward momentum, but then you're breaking, and then you're actually, your body is bent backwards as well. In this bow position, yeah. Right, because that... It was the bow. Yeah, the bow position, so... In tanush, this is so, a magic word, tanush, what we need. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and so to, to do that, is that is that a lot of... Uh, flexibility or, or stability in terms of in your trunk, in your core? Where does that come from? How, how can you? Yeah, that, yeah, that's the tricky thing. That is everything. That is, that is the muscle work. The more, more, the stronger your muscles, your ligaments are, the stiffer the bow. But if the bow is stiffer, you need more energy to, kinetic energy to bend it. So, yeah, and there's flexibility also involved, flexibility in the shoulder joint, flexibility, but also stability, because the load on the shoulder is, is huge during the throw, and there are lots of uh, injuries may occur, especially overuse injuries, and uh, we have to do a lot of strengthening of the shoulders, because this is like the bottleneck, the shoulder. Everything goes through this uh, little tiny shoulder joint so the the entire body the, the all the force that is being acquired is going through the shoulder joint and into the arm and then into the javelin um and and what kind of loads do you see for uh, on an average uh, for a thrower when when you're throwing on the shoulder joint <clears throat> what do you mean in uh, in some kilonewton or what i mean yeah in kilonewtons yeah for the for the front leg let's starting with the leg it can it will go up to 10 times the body weight. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah, that's immense because uh, the, the big forces. In training, it's all then four, five, six, seven, depending how, how fast you are, times the body weight, when, how stable the knee should be. And there's also several thousand uh, uh, Newton for the shoulder, for this uh, ligament, for, this, uh, for these structures. So ten times your own body weight on the breaking leg. Strong, stiff, yeah, to make it to make it stiff, yeah. So that means your legs have to be very strong as well. Like you'll have to do lots of squats and things like that. And if you bend it, then you must fix the leg. Don't allow it to bend the knee so much. What kind of how 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 locked is the knee? Is it completely straight, completely locked out at the breaking point, or is there some degree of flexion that you that you usually have? The best. Best of all times, let's start with the very beginning of the traveling. So they were not as fast as they are today, but still they had this very good fixed front leg to block and to transfer then the energy from the run-up into the body and then into the javelin. Yeah, it should be as good as, as fixed as possible. You can also athletes can also throw far with a not so perfectly fixed but um, then they may not use all the capacity they have but it's caused by some way of learning some way maybe some injuries don't allow them to block so hard it's also not only on the knee it goes also on on the back on the lower back yeah so yeah it's always to find the, the compromise what is possible what is 
brings out the best of the athlete. Right. So how good is Nidaj's blocking? When you when we looked at this, when he started to throw as a 14-year-old boy, and it was then also type of cricket influence, and up to now, yeah, it's uh, over the year better. That is one of the things he is able to do to to understand, to learn, and to adapt to new, to the more efficiently way. It's a process progressing from the less stable to into a more and more stable but it has also a price it's the load on the body yeah yeah um and and that's interesting because you know that 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 olympic medal winning throw the gold medal winning throw um i remember that he in his follow through he uh, he goes on his hands uh down on the down on the ground um and uh, i i know that jan jelesny when he threw his 98.48 he also did the same Thing, but uh, is that a technique that you, uh, that is desirable, or would you rather not see the athlete touch uh, the ground with their hands? And we, we call it the head-first plunge or the dive, and it became famous with Jan Chelesny. But the first was a world record in 1959: an American athlete, 86 meter, and then 89, Albert Cantello. And he also has a compatriot who was actually the first inventor. This man died two years ago. He was also qualified for the Olympics, but could not make it because he was number six in the U.S. who qualified in 1948. So already in 1948, some one athlete used this dive. And then with Jan Schellesny, and after this also some world records were thrown before Jan Schellesny with the dive. World records records yeah so and Nirish also uses this it means it is a result of the long following through with the, with the upper body said so you then like go like a lever over your front leg and catch it then on the head but it's a little bit acrobatic yeah I, I love the little history javelin history that you're giving me uh, but and and uh, as for um, acrobatic. Uh, Neeraj is quite the acrobatic person. I mean, we, we see his training videos. He's he's quite the jack in the box. <laughs> he can he can really jump and and dive and do things like that. Yeah. Also, we do special gymnastic training and gymnastic uh, implements. He likes this. Yeah. And yeah, it's all coordination. The better you are coordinated, also in other fields, the better you can handle then your main exercise. Right. The American athlete, what was his name The you just uh, talked about, uh, who set a record? Alberto? Yancelli. Yancelli was his name. This was the inventor, but the other one was Albert Cantello. Albert Cantello. Cantello. It's, it's, it's funny that you're talking about the coordination because Albert Cantello has a had a very funny quote uh, about it. He says, uh, he said, I passed a multitude of bigger, better throwers on the way up. Uh, what they didn't realize was the importance of being a technician. If you're just a degree off, you've blown it. But hit it right, and it's like steak and potatoes, like going to heaven in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, so that's, that's what it's about. It's about movement pattern. It's about uh, the coordination of the body, which is why gymnastic training, I suppose, is so important because that's what gymnastics is all about. It's how to control your body, uh, fire every muscle in the right sequence, uh, you know all of those things, and and um, Neeraj also looks like somebody who has a lot of explosive strength, which is again a very important component of of any throwing event. 
um uh, can can you can you shed some light on that yeah for also when we would start with a young athlete what we would like to do what we would like to have is that this athletes can handle their own body before they say start with weight training making their body even stronger so you have to first to able to handle your own weight like chin ups push ups and core work and 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 jumps and sprints be a real athlete we don't want to have the javelin thrower we want to have an athlete who throws the javelin not a very narrow specialist yeah and nirish is such one wider not this narrow, narrow specialist my idea is he could be a very good decathlete in all these 10 events but but in the past he never learned pole vault he did not focus lots on high jump yeah on these technical events so this is why okay yeah he became a very good javelin thrower but it is the athleticism what makes him so great huh? and this also involves some i would say creativity that you think a lot about your own movement how to how you can make it better looking for training exercises how they become more efficiently huh? that's a great point to to have awareness and and of your own body as well as to be creative with it yes yes that is what what we would call like movement intelligence na said you not just boom boom throw and did it you even do not understand how the javelin is flying that you understand what you do right that that you have that you get the feedback also from from your joints muscles from the periphery na that you see the javelin flying and you understand why he is going to the right why is going to the left or diving or uh, what was well done and just in terms of explosive strength uh, uh, how much do you focus on that um, with neeraj and, and what 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 are some of the best things that you can do to uh, to get better at explosive strength and and, and let's just for the listeners I, i would just like to point out what what i mean by explosive strength is you know imparting a lot of force in a very short period of time yeah but the javelin is um... you land and then you pull it up you bend the bow and then you release it so it's not just in one i mean it's um, a tenth of a second but still it is is a coordinated sequence so and this is not what we want to this explosiveness in the in the very short time but we have to pre-stretch the muscle and then release it and this is what we in the most in a very specific way we develop with the throwing shots for example or rods one arm but also with both arms going into this throwing position so that the athlete um, feels stable has used the legs and then comes this uh, explosiveness the most explosive person will not be the best thrower that's clear he, mu- he must be able even if he's such an explosive person he must be able to to delay the throw this this little bit get this pre-stretch by the by the leg work make sure the bow is stretched to its limit yes. before yeah. you close this limit yeah start yeah. the explosive yeah. movement see yeah yeah so the the most the strongest person is not going to be the best thrower the most explosive person is not going to be the best thrower it's the most coordinated person who can who can harness the explosiveness harness the strength all of it in a coordinated way exactly 
Yeah, that's yeah. what we're looking for. That's what we train. That's why we train right. for. Uh, and when, and when you're training, because uh, a lot of people, uh, of course, uh, who who listen to this podcast are interested also in weight training. Um, what kind of weight training would you be doing, and and um, would Neeraj be doing, and what are the some of the most important kind of uh, movements that he does with weights? Basically, we we use the Olympic lifts, clean and jerk and snatch, <clears throat> a little bit bench press, but for us is more this type of pull over when you lie on the back and you pull the the bar from behind over the shoulder. This is our one of our main exercises. But this lifting. The bar requires that the body is well prepared. We do a lot of uh, this gymnastic before and then general training for the core, for the shoulder, for the legs, for the adductors, abductors, for all these single muscle groups and then go into these uh, lifting lifting exercises. Yeah. And then having our targets like snatching 100 kilogram and squatting with 200. Yeah. Some athletes do more, some athletes do less. <clears throat> yeah. Is that what? What's his one one rep max? Not, yeah. For the squat. When you go and test, then it's always the risk that you may get injured, and you don't really know don't know why. I want to know this. You can do two hundred, two three times. So <clears throat> and then, but I mean, yeah. If it's life or death, maybe I would do it to to twenty to thirty. But there's no need to go to this limit. <laughs> yeah, but but you don't want to do that, of course. Yeah. But it was there. We had such tests with athletes, also some isometric tests, where the athlete just is um, contracting the muscles as much as he can against the resistance. And if you are so high motivated as elite athletes are, then you may get even you rupture your own muscle. Yes, we of course we have to pre- prevent this is nonsense. Yeah. So we always have a certain reserve. We know yeah that he can do yeah can and this uh, but safely he can do about two hundred kilos as a squat and about a hundred kilos for the snatch. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's very impressive. Yeah. That's very impressive. Not uh, that is not, not not all not every day. It needs um, a special preparation towards this, and we try to achieve these results then before the main competitions. So then two, three, four weeks before, then you know you are you are on your strongest, and this is why the bow became also strong but flexible. So it's a calibrated uh, kind of th- process to get to that. So that these these numbers for the snatch and the squat is is something that you kind of almost like you look at it to assess peak fitness. So you want him to get there slowly, just before the competition. Yeah, I wouldn't call it fitness, but the peak, peak special, uh, special strengths. Yeah, we call these strengths special strengths. Yeah, it's not strengths; it's actually power in physical terms. Right? That is, energy you have is transferred in the shortest time. That is what what we want, and then we can measure some forces, whatever. Yeah, right. But in peak condition. Basically, yes, yeah, for his sport. Yeah. So now you know you you we, we talked about the the bow and the arrow analogy and and uh, if you look at the arrow, the arrow does not uh, fly straight. It's 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 a it's a very bendy thing. It's a squiggly, warm like movement, and it, it's also rotating in the air. Uh, the javelin, of course, 
how much uh, you know how much rotation and how much bending does the javelin do when it's flying through the air and does the athlete have to have any control in terms of when he, they're throwing over what kind of movement the javelin will have the rotations coming from losing the contact with the finger around the javelin and it's about 25 to 30 over 30 revolutions you see it now with a good video translation you can see in the slow-mo how the javelin rotates yeah and i put one times markers on this and the, with the high speed video you can then calculate how fast it is so it's 25 to to 30. yeah that's a tricky thing that it would be more about 60 then the javelin would not tilt down it would stabilize in the flight to in in the air ne? so this is not a, a thing to focus at all. The, the wobbling, as you say, the vibrations, the os oscillations, this is a tricky thing because yeah, uh, it means that uh, not all force the athlete developed went into the long axis of the javelin. Yeah? Because the finger behind the grip should go into the long axis of the javelin, then the javelin will not uh, vibrate so much. And the high-performance javelins are made of very stiff materials, special alloys, aluminum steel alloys, or carbon fiber, which are very stiff. And these javelins not vibrating so much, but they are also harder acting on, on the shoulder of the, of the athlete. So it shows when it's wobbling a lot that this was not a good throw because some part of the javelin, some percentages went not in the throwing direction. And it can cost you at the end a meter or two, yeah, easily. And so that's the that's the point of that's at the point of release. That's your the that that you have to get the timing just right at the point of release and uh, and the angle of your hand uh, in relation to the javelin. Is that what we're looking at? Yeah, when you during the last stage of the run-up, before when the when the right foot plants and then the left foot, and then comes the throwing movement, the javelin actually is no more changing its position in in space. The inclination of the javelin towards the ground should stay then all the time the same, <clears throat> so that the athlete is no more uh, like tilting, acting on on the javelin in way of uh, changing its its movement, its direction, uh, then you can have a chance that you will hit it clean. You go, I mean, the javelin goes on a straight line, but the body movements are angular, are joints which are rotating. So that's the tricky thing to produce a linear movements by rotating, stabilizing the legs and rotating with the upper body, with the forearm, right, upper arm, yeah, hand to produce this linear movement. Wow, so th this is fascinating, and and um, and and to talk to me a little bit about the angle of attack. Uh, what does that mean? There's there's something that you guys use a lot: the angle of attack. Yeah. What what is that angle, and what what should be the ideal thing there? That means that the airstream is attacking the javelin. When you imagine that you hit the javelin like like a rocket flies into the point, as we say, so that means the javelin goes straight into the wind. And there is no, but when you tilt the javelin a little bit up and throw it, um, that the airstream can hit the surface of the javelin, not only the, the, the tip, this little diameter, yeah, this little surface, circular surface, 
when the tip is hit by the by the airstream, but it's the, all the long axis of the the long surface of the javelin is hit by the airstream. It is much much more air resistance, yeah, which tilts the javelin up and re reduces the uh, reduces the lift, but increases the drag. This is like when you go, when you drive in in your car and you put the hand out of the window and you have the the hand horizontal. Then the air goes straight over the hand, over and under the hand, or you put the hand up 90 degree or 45 degree and 90 degree, then you get this attack angle. Yeah. With a hand vertical uh, with a hand vertical, then we have this 90 degree attack. But we discussing with the javelin attack angle of five, maximum 10 is catastrophic. Yeah, and javelin thrown with the angle of attack 10 will lose maybe 10 or more meter. Yeah, and it should, it should be actually, it's very tricky. Under certain circumstances, a small, very small uh, angle of attack is uh, beneficial. As simulations show on computer or in a, in a wine tunnel. But uh, for from the coaching purpose, it's better to tell the athlete and to teach him. And he also teaches, learns himself, no attack. Hit it clean, that is then what we say. And this is, it happens, hit it clean when the athlete only see a dot. When he looks into the javelin after release and he can see only a dot and not the tilt up javelin. <coughs> only, only the dot and not this surface, yeah. If the wind comes from front or from behind, that also plays a role, then you can change. It's beneficial to change the angle because when the wind comes from behind, you can throw a bit higher because then the wind will carry the javelin at the second half of the flight. When the javelin goes down, when the wind comes from front, it attacks you additionally. And then it's better not to throw too high because then you have more attack and it's better to throw flatter. And of course, these are all things that you that you work on in training. Yeah, when when these little nuances. Yeah, these little nuances. When you have a certain wind, sometimes you go away. You you use headwind, or you you go and you use better a tailwind. So, but you we know also not you cannot only have beneficial situations. You must also be be able to manage not so beneficial situations in terms of wind. That, that was a wonderful conversation, Dr. Bartonitz. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, I wish you and Neeraj all the best uh, for the start of the season. And, and I hope that we hit 90 meters and more. We hope too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good. Thank you. And goodbye. Goodbye. This was an episode of Secrets of Sports Science. I'll be back next week with a new guest. Until then, if you have any questions, you can write to me at rudranil at gmail.com. That's R-U-D-R-A-N-E-I-L at gmail.com. For the latest updates on this podcast, do like and follow at HD Smartcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. To listen to more such podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. 